And this is the 34th week of the study of the book of Hebrews. We're kind of closing in on the finish of the book. We're at the end of chapter 11. We're going to get into chapter 12 today. And last week we looked at the hall of fame of faith, it's called, by many. And it was men that achieved a level of faith that should be emulated. And we saw that while each of these men taught on a differing manifestation of faith, they all had one thing in common that gave them the faith needed to reach what has been called the hall of fame of faith. And the one thing was relationship with God. They all spoke with God. They all, and God spoke with them. God gave them clear direction for their lives, and not just clear directions once, but on an ongoing basis. Because once you come to faith and believe that He exists and He rewards those who earnestly seek Him, He does just that. You seek Him, and He comes to you. And that's a reward. Though He remains unseen, though through Messiah, the door opens for you to have true relationship. And it is that relationship and that direction in your life that builds faith. The kind of faith that will carry you through to the end of your journey. Even though, like these men that we talked about last week, they didn't see the promises of God fulfilled in their life. You see, God remains unseen, but He does not remain unavailable. He cares about His creation, each and every one within that creation. He wants relationship with His people. And so again, these men had relationship with God. They spoke with Him. And not just that, they acted upon what they heard. And they witnessed God to the world in a way, in the way that they lived, in the words that they spoke. They continued in their witness even though they did not receive all the things promised them by God. And because uh, of that relationship, they hung on until death, never re renouncing or recanting what they believed. And so this is... Uh, and so I think I just... Excuse me, I just hit the wrong button. All right, so these men held on until the very end to their faith. They didn't recant. Now, at the end of chapter 11, he tells us the degree with which they held on to their faith. It says this in verse 32. It says, and what more shall I say? I don't have the time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah. David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned into strength, who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. You see, it was because of their relationship with God that they were able to accomplish the task that God had given them to do. Read about the relationship that these men had, men like Daniel and Samuel and these others. It was because of relationship that some of these others did not renounce their faith, even though they faced death in the lion's den, death in a furnace. 
It was through relationship with God that God closed the mouths of those lions and fireproofed them in the flames because God loves his people. It was through relationship that they were able to ask for the things that we read about here, healings, receiving back from the dead. And notice it says, because of their faith. You know, if you go into many churches where they pray for healing, but the person sometimes often remains sick, they say it's because they didn't have enough faith to be healed. Well, that's not what I read here. Because what I read here is that these people who are doing the praying had the faith for the healing. I don't want to go there today because that's not the author's focus. But he's trying to give us a word of encouragement here. And so the author continues, Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, while others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And the world wasn't worthy of them. And they wandered in the deserts and the mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Remember, he's admonishing these Hebrews to hang on to their faith, to trust in God, to build relationship with God. And why? Because they're being perfect persecuted by the Sadducees, by the priest, for preaching the resurrection of the Messiah. And as we can see in their sermons of Peter and Stephen, they were laying the death of Messiah right where it belonged, right in the laps of the Sadducees, the priests. And so the priests are weeding them out. There's a distinct possibility that James has already been put to death by the writing of this letter. The point being is that he just lists off the trials of these men of faith these men who hung, hang, hung on, saying, what you're going through is not uncommon for men of true faith. And they received a better resurrection because of it, because of that suffering, because of their hanging on to the witness of God. All right, so that's, that's the faith of these men. And he didn't have time to speak of these men like Daniel and so forth, so I don't take the time to go over their stories either. I mean, we all know the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. We learned it in... Bible school. Elijah, the tradition of Isaiah being sawn in two. So we'll move on to the next chapter 12. But as we do, I want you to keep these things in focus about these men as we go through chapter 12, remembering what we learned about these men contained in what's called the Hall of Fame. They were chosen because each of them represented some differing manifestation of faith, but all had this one thing in common. They had no written commands to follow, no Torah to follow, no way of knowing what was pleasing to God, except that they actually heard the word of the Lord and did that thing that they were told to do. Through hearing the voice of God, they were able to walk out lives that, was, that were pleasing to God. They weren't running around blindly without direction, but they were spoken, they were spoken to by God and given clear direction for their lives. Their faith did not come through reading a book that was thousands of years old, written by people, written to people with an entirely different set of problems, like when we open up our 
New Covenant scriptures are brief. But their faith came through hearing and listening to the voice of God. That's who gave them the clear direction, the current direction. A clear, concise halakha, a path that was given to them that was so straight, that way that was so true, that as the writer will say, they didn't walk through life, but they were able to run the race. Amen? That's what hearing from God will do for you. Reading Torah often leaves you wondering, well, what, what, what in all of this is for me? How do I keep this command or that command? How, how does this relate to me? The voice of God doesn't leave you standing by the road wondering. It puts you on a foot race in the direction of the gates of the kingdom of heaven. You know that you know that you're moving in the right direction. Amen? Hearing from God gives you the confidence not to look back, not to wonder about this turn or that turn as you go through life, but he's there with you, encouraging you, making straight the path ahead. And these people of chapter 11 were that kind of people. They heard, they obeyed, and because they did what God had told them to do to the exclusion of what the world would have us do, they were in this elite group called the Hall of Fame of Faith. This elite group of witnesses of the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Faith is confidence in what is unseen without regard for what is seen. It's not a faith of ignorance. It's not a faith of blindness, blindly trusting. But faith comes through hearing God and having the confidence to move forward. Because you've heard him and you know that you know where the direction you're going is the direction he would have you go. Amen? So, chapter 12 says this, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us, hinders, and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run the race with perseverance, the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set forth before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God, on the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I love this because he says, he's going to tell us some things in a roundabout way here. He says, we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses what does he mean by witnesses? You know, what kind of witnesses? Do you suppose these men are in heaven watching us going, uh, going through our, our race through life, uh, cheering us on? They're that kind of a witness or that they're somehow watching us so they can go back and report to God, that kind of witness? There's now a group of faithful men in heaven that act as a cheerleading section or something. No, that's not what is meant. They are witnessing our struggle, but that it's not that they're witnessing our struggle, but that they are a witness to us. You know, the Greek word used here is martyrs, and if you think that sounds a lot like martyr, you'd be exactly correct. It's where our word martyr comes from. This is, I put it up here for you. A witness in a legal sense, in a historical sense, and then... A little while later, it says, Those who, after example, have proved their strength and genuineness of their faith in Messiah by undergoing a violent death. 
You see, that's what it's come to mean to us. But what does it really mean? What is the first meaning? It is a witness. And yet when we, see, when we say martyr or we think of martyr, that isn't what comes to our mind. It really, you know, We think that it's somehow someone who died for their faith. But if we think about witness, that's exactly right. You see, a martyr in the context of Scripture is one who hangs on to their faith, hangs on to their witness for God and of God, even to the point of death. And not just death, but as the definition says, a violent death could be a violent death. God promises us a kingdom where he reigns. And as it, as it is said of those in the Hall of Fame of Faith, they were seeking a country of their own. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to, call, uh, to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These men witnessed to us a faith that we should and we can emulate. The word, the same word uh, is used in Revelation chapter 11, this wit word witness. It says, and I will give power to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1260 days clothed in sackcloth. The witnesses are going to be witnessing to those in the time of Jacob's trouble. They're going to be preaching and leading Jewish people to the Messiah. They, through faith in God, will be calling down the plagues that we read about in the book of Revelation. They will be witnesses of the Creator and that He desires all men to return to Him. Walk uprightly before Him. And that's the same sense of the word we get in this cloud of witnesses because that's what they've done. They've given us something to emulate. You know, we might better think of it as we're surrounded by a great cloud of examples because these men were examples for us. These men who have already run the race and from whom we can learn. And the thing that we learn is that they had relationship with God. He includes the greatest witness. Next, he says, keep your eyes focused on Yeshua, the author of our faith. And that word author there we looked at it before. It means one who takes the lead in anything and thus affords an example, a predecessor in a manner, a, a matter, a pioneer. You see, Messiah is our chief example. He heard, he spoke the word of God directly. Not from studying rabbinic schools, not sitting under the feet of Hillel or Shammai. John tells us this about Yeshua. He says in chapter 7, verse 14, Not until halfway through the feast did Yeshua go up to the temple courts and begin to teach. And the Jews were amazed and asked, How did this man get, man get such learning without having studied? Remember last week I told you they called him rabbi out of respect, not because he went to some rabbinic school. He had, how did he get such learning? Well, it's easy. He had a relationship with the Father. He received clear direction from the Father, and that is an example for us. He did not learn from men. He learned from his Father, and that's an example for us. Messiah has grafted us in. He's made us brothers, and because we're now brothers, we have the same Father as well. And he will make sure we receive clear direction as well if, we take the time to listen. 
if we don't get so busy in the world, so busy doing this, so busy doing that, that we don't take the time to listen. If we go to him who is unseen, knowing that he exists and he rewards those who seek him, he'll give us the answers we need for our lives. The relationship is the reason for this statement. In Matthew chapter 23, he says, But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have only one master, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. And nor are you to be called teacher, for you have one teacher, that is Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut up the kingdom of heaven in men's faces, and you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those entered who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win one single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much of a son of hell as you are. I could have left a lot of that off, but I just threw it in anyway. Often, you know, people come to me and they say, well, why do you call yourself rabbi? When Yeshua clearly says, you are not to be called rabbi. And I try to explain to them, well, that's not as clearly as you might think. Yeshua is not concerned if we call someone rabbi, father, or teacher. After all, we all have a father, right? Right? And he gave some to be teachers, right? So we can't take this literally, but what is he saying to his disciples? We're not to win followers of ourselves. We're to teach people to hear from the master, the teacher, Yeshua the Messiah. He's our master. He's our teacher. The new covenant is a matter of hearing from God, of a relationship with God. In Yeshua's day, the process of rabbis making disciples was to make copies of themselves. A successful disciple became a copy of his rabbi. So close a relationship was this relationship between rabbi and disciple that the rabbi was called his father. And they taught in the name of their rabbi. If you read the Talmud, it says things like, Rabbi so-and-so taught in the name of rabbi so-and-so who learned it from rabbi so-and-so. Right? The point is... The rabbi made a copy of himself in the student so that the traditions would be passed down word for word. And Yeshua is saying, don't make copies of yourselves and followers of yourselves, but teach people to follow me. Hearing from the Father is the same example Yeshua set for us, is the example Yeshua set for us, and it's the same example we learned last week from this great cloud of witnesses. That's what they have in common. You know, it would help us if we understand this in a, the eschatological sense, and this is where I find it. He says, a great cloud of witnesses. Why not just say, these men are a great example to us all? Paul said of the wilderness journey, he says, these things happened as examples. So why didn't the author just say, uh, these men are our examples? Well, it's because cloud to these men would bring specific things to mind. And it should to many of us as well. First of all, it would bring an urgency to what he's saying because clouds meant something to these men. And we should know and you should really know that in the Greek, if you look at the Greek, it doesn't say cloud. 
it says clouds. It doesn't use the word nephili. It uses the word, which would be a single cloud. But instead it uses nephos, a cloud or a mass or a pile of clouds. Synonymous with a host of people. And so you need to understand that he doesn't use this terminology for no reason. A cloud of witnesses. Fix your eyes on Yeshua, the prince, the pioneer, the front runner, who sat at the right hand of God. The illusion for me is unmistakable. It takes me right to Daniel chapter 7 and verse 13. And it says, In my night vision I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence, and he was given authority, power, and authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. You know, this speaks of Yeshua's return to heaven with the clouds of heaven after his suffering. And after 40 days of being on earth, witnessing. And if we go to the book of Acts, it tells us something else about these clouds, these very clouds. It says, while they were looking up into the sky, as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Yeshua, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back to you in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Yeshua is returning on the same clouds, not a cloud, clouds. You see the term clouds or clouds of heaven with Yeshua at the head and our eyes fixed on him is a powerful image to these men. Certainly what they hope to see, the clouds of heaven. What are the clouds of heaven? Well, you go to Jude and he tells you. Jude tells you very simply because he talks about Yeshua's return. He says, Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts that they have done in an ungodly way. And all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He doesn't call these men clouds for nothing. But it would bring to mind the seriousness of what he's saying. When speaking of clouds and the return of the Messiah would come to mind. Matthew chapter 24 verse 30 says, At that time the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky or heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather the elect from four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. And so, the point I want to get across is the terminology he uses, the witnesses of the witnesses is all important to the letter. He calls these men clouds to show that they did not receive what God promised in this life, but God had prepared a place for them. They did and have received the promise of the kingdom. The country they were looking for, they are with God. They are with Messiah, and they will return with him to inhabit the earth once more. They are the clouds of heaven. And if you hang on, you can be one of the same. Amen? So hang on. Remember, he's trying to encourage them to hang on till the end, these, as these men of faith had done, even though 
they didn't see the promise fulfilled in their lifetime, even though they had to suffer death in their lifetime, even though they were persecuted in their lifetime. And with the terminology, he adds this urgency. You know, urgency is a great motivator of men, right? Let's read this again, verses 1 through 3 again. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run the race. Run, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of God on the throne. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let us throw off everything that entangles us, that hinders us, and the sin that entangles us. Sin is a violation of Torah. We all know that, right? Sin is a violation of Torah. Just read the John. Today, I want you to consider something else, though. What is the reason he says it so easily entangles us? Sin is a failure to follow the instruction of God. You know, if you ask people, what's the greatest failure uh, uh, of men in the Torah? Or some might say, Korah. Look at the ground swallowed him up, right? And some might say, well, it was their failure to trust God to provide water or food. And certainly, a great many would say, well, it's got to be their failure to enter the promised land, right? And they would be right. Those are certainly great failures, but they are the result of the greatest failure in the Jew of the Jewish people in the wilderness. They're not the greatest failure. The greatest failure of the Jewish people, people in the wilderness occurred at Mount Sinai. When after hearing God speak to them, they said, Moses, you speak to us and we'll listen, but don't have God speak to us or we'll die. It was on that day that they cut themselves off from everything that made the men of chapter 11 the clouds of heaven. You see, they had it backward. They said, if God speaks to us, we'll die, when in fact, if God doesn't speak to us, we'll die, and die they did. The wilderness took the lives of every adult on that day. The reason sin so easily entangles us is we fail to take the time to hear from God. We fail to put Messiah at the forefront of our lives. We fail to fix our eyes on Yeshua, the author and perfecter of our faith. And fixing our eyes on Yeshua is a metaphor because he's unseen. But we can literally fix our ears on the Master. I want to challenge everybody today after these last two messages. I want to challenge you to go home this week and fix your ears on the Master. You know, I do a prayer and he hearing from God class now and then. Probably should do it more often. It's eight weeks long. And people will call and say, can I get that prayer? Can, you, can I get the prayer, prayer and hearing from God class? And I say, no, because I've never recorded it. And the reason is simple. The eight weeks of teaching is just not that important. And I do the eight weeks of teaching only to hold the people accountable. 
so that I can see them each week and ask them, did you spend that hour in the prayer closet every day this week? To hold them accountable. Because, you see, I can teach anyone to hear from God in about two or three minutes, but it will take them hours and days and maybe even weeks to accomplish it. I give the main instruction in the very first lesson. And the rest of the study is just to build people's resolve. You see, here's the instruction. Make a 45-minute CD of your favorite praise music, hymns, praises that are most meaningful to you. And then go into a quiet place where you're not going to be disturbed. And praise and worship God with all of your might. And as you do that, thank Him for the things that He's done for you. Thank Him for interceding in your life. Ask Him to hear His instruction. Tell Him you want relationship with Him. The word that you've given the world is precious, but it's not enough. I need, I want your hand on my life, your words alive in my ears and in my heart. I need the faith of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I need and want to hear you as these men heard you. And remember, I said I make a 45-minute tape, but you're going to spend an hour in there because you're going to spend the last 15 minutes listening. Listening for the voice. It doesn't happen the first day? Well, then persevere. Get in there the next day and the next day. Don't give up until you hear Yeshua. He tells us, stand at the door and knock and keep on knocking, right? You see, that's the meat of the eight-week lesson on hearing from God. The rest of it is just fluff and encouragement. That's why I don't put it on tape. Because I want to see the people spend the hour of the day. I want to make sure they're doing it. And if they're faithful to do it, then they get a result. Listen, if there's one lesson in the book of Hebrews for us, if there's one lesson that comes through over and over in the scriptures, it's this one. The only way to escape the sin that so easily entangles us, all of us, is relationship with the king. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. They had no Torah. And they made this elite group because they heard, they listened, and they obeyed. The Israelites in the wilderness, on the other hand, they had Torah. They had Moses as teacher, but they didn't choose to hear God, and they died in the wilderness. So this week, let's go from this place and let's choose life. Let's spend some time. Let's spend the time it takes to follow the example of this great cloud of witnesses because there's nothing more important for you to do in this life. Amen?